Welcome to the Cover 2 Resources podcast series, a podcast series about addiction and addiction education. My name is Amy McNeil. I lost my brother Samuel to a heroin overdose on October 23, 2015. He was 28. As a family, we thought we were prepared to help Sam fight addiction, but we were painfully mistaken. My family founded Cover 2 Resources in memory of Sam. Our mission is to arm others with the knowledge needed to best support a loved one struggling with opioid addiction. The Cover 2 Resources podcast is an ongoing series in which we interview experts in the fight against opioid addiction. It is made possible through donations and sponsorships from concerned individuals or organizations. If you want to help in the fight against opioid addiction, please consider donating or sponsoring the Cover 2 podcast. Go to cover2.org for more information. This podcast is available on iTunes, Google Music, Stitcher, and via RSS feed. Simply search for the full name, Cover 2 Resources, on your platform of choice. Thank you for listening. Hi, this is Greg McNeil from Cover 2 Resources, and I'm here today with Donna Skoda, the Summit County Public Health Commissioner. Donna, welcome. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. Okay. So you've been in your current role as commissioner for a year now. Correct. I, congratulations yes. is <laughs> in order. Your thank one you. year anniversary. Yes, thank you. And But you've been with the department since 2000. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about the impact that the opiate epidemic has had on your department in that time? Um, well, I think this year has been... in late 15 and into 16 has been particularly problematic in that we've had such an influx of um, other drugs, you know, carfentanil and fentanyl that have really changed the game completely in addiction because many individuals don't live to tell about their experiences because of this. It's been very tragic. Um, But for us, we have always, we've had alcohol drug counselors available. We continue to have alcohol drug counselors available. It's really started us thinking about availability of resources that we probably need to be closer to the clientele that needs us. So we're starting to look more at off-site delivery of services. Um, We were able to launch a needle exchange program after the law changed, and that's an opportunity to, again, it helps prevent a secondary infection from a communicable disease, but it also gives you the opportunity to talk to somebody about getting into treatment and try to help them with their disease. Um, so that's been a huge impact. We've also started to really ramp up our project on Narcan, Naloxone. Narcan's a trade name, but we've really started to make sure that's available to any number of families, laypersons, any citizen who would like to have it, and or the police departments we've trained in order to have that available as well. So we've been looking more at that. And the third thing we're looking to do is offsetting our counselors. We have one program we run home-based for opiate addiction, um, we're looking to really make that. Um, it's for women. It's for individuals who have been involved with children's services. We do in-home assessments, so we're looking at how do we expand more programs like that to be able to get the assessments done in home, and then also to try to arrange for treatment. So we're looking at any number of options for our counselors that would be more available to the community. Wow. So let's talk a little bit. Let's break those down just a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, Let's talk about the resources end. Boy, with the epidemic exploding the way that it is, resources, that's tough to address. How are you helping there? Um, 
the resources that we provide is we've expanded all of our programs. I think that's what you're asking me, is this resource, we've been able to get these resources out. But what we really try to do is make sure an individual, whether they have, if they have Narcan available to them, they're able to have that, they're able to use needle exchange programs, but then we really try to connect them with the Alcohol Drug Mental Health Board and the any number of programs that they have in order to get individuals into detox. We have some, um, I don't want to call them, um, we have ways, for lack of a better word, to be able to get individuals into treatment from our situation here as a counseling agency. If we determine that somebody needs a higher level of care, then we try to put them into the system so that they can get that level of care. I guess what I'm trying to say and stumbling over is the pathways are different for everyone, but we try to tailor that need to make sure they can get where they need to be for services. So maybe we could use an example yeah. to kind of walk them through what a, what that means, a higher level of care. Could you do that? Well, if you have an individual who we assess to be um, at a level of addiction, an opiate addiction and or alcohol or anything else that needs a different kind of care. They may do better. Intensive outpatient may work for one person, but it doesn't work. If you can live in sure. a sober home and you have a supportive family, that works fine. But if you don't have that, um, then you're probably better off going into a facility and being away from your family and friends for the time. Then let's say you need to detox, but then you need to stay in that facility. And that, I have to be honest with you, Greg, is some of the issue. Recovery takes a long time, and people get released. And it isn't like you're magically cured. You know, you go in the hospital for your diabetes and you come out, you're not cured of diabetes. You learn to manage it. Sure, yeah. And it's the same for individuals with addiction. And if it if you have diabetes and it takes your wife cooking your meals or your and you're not having any cookies in the house or doing whatever it takes, somebody helping you, those same things have to happen for the individual that's in recovery. Yeah. And particularly with opioid addiction. Boy, yes. It's, um, Powerful addiction. Yeah. It's at least thirty five weeks, I'm told. Oh yeah. Before your, your brain is a little bit able to think clearly. Yeah. Well, and, and I've never smoked cigarettes, but I can tell you, I have friends who have tried to quit for five years and finally kick it after seven, eight, you know, nine, ten attempts. Yeah. It's an, it takes a time. It takes a while. And not to mention, it takes you a long time to start new habits. Yeah. We've all tried to start a new health habit, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Every New Year's. Every New <laughs> like Year's. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the needle exchange truck. Mm -hmm. um, that's a great program. In fact, uh, we witnessed it uh, in Cuyahoga County. Uh, right. We spent half a day on the truck and, and really uh, very impressed with one of the biggest things, in fact, was the relationship that these gentlemen that ran the truck that they had with their customers mm -hmm. that were coming up and exchanging their needles. It was it was compelling. Mm -hmm. And they did it with so much compassion. And of course, they were it was it's harm reduction. They're helping them so kind of bridge that time while they're still using until they get to the point where they want help, in which case they've got the resources for that. Mm -hmm. So how's the program been going since you implemented it here? You started it when? June of 16, just June. this last June. Okay, so a couple of months in. A mm -hmm. couple months in, um, we've had 34 customers that have been regular customers. 
Um, and so far, and we're happy with that because you have to understand when you start a needle exchange program, people are a little nervous because, you know, you're kind of giving up the risk of identification and the risk of arrest. Right. And so you, you've got to build a trust. And, if, and every week we go mm -hmm. on, we get more and more. When they realize mm -hmm. it's a safe space, we can exchange the needles. Mm -hmm. um, you're given a set amount of needles. You're also given a sharps container. We hope you'll bring us back all of your old needles. The sharps container. It's just a little plastic thing that holds all your used needles. Yeah, okay. And so we want those back mm -hmm. because we want to get rid of them appropriately, dispose yep. of them with medical waste. Um, but actually people come and it gives you a chance to give them the kit, explain the use, how to avoid. We give them condoms. We give them everything to avoid any more communicable disease spread, what would be like HIV, Hep C. I can tell you out of the 34 individuals that we've seen, six have been diagnosed with hep C. Hmm. And Is that you, good or bad? That's I bad. I mean, yeah. it's because okay. we've seen those numbers spike. That's yeah. one of the reasons why we wanted to do it. We wanted to have yeah. the needle exchange. Um, but, you know, and you think about over the lifetime of a person, we're giving them a few bucks in supplies. Um, and ultimately... The cost without a liver transplant is about $100,000 in care. Yeah. Not to mention the personal devastation and emotional devastation, not only having the disease of addiction, but then you also find out you have a comorbid disease of either HIV or hep C. Yeah. Yeah, I wish you the best of luck with that Thanks. program. I, I, We're hoping I to expand, you, expand, yeah, expand. Yeah, in, in just the half a day that I was on the truck in Cleveland, they gave over gave out over... 2,000 needles. Oh, I believe it. Just amazing. Absolutely amazing. A lot of people coming that just, yeah. Okay. Um, so let's talk a little bit more about Narcan Project Dawn mm -hmm. and a development here. The police department now. Right. They're Akron. all going to be carrying here right. in Akron. Yeah. That's yeah. great. That's it's, a positive oh, it's development from the, I, I think... That came from the rally? No? I think. I think it's just the, um, I think they were toying with it. I think lots of folks have, you know, not real sure what to do with it, what it is. Um, many police departments jumped on. The early adopters are sold because they've seen a few reversals. So once you have a reversal under your belt, you're, you're committed to it. And you see the good it can do because that person comes back and they get the chance for treatment. And just about anybody can use Narcan. Oh, yeah. And the training really is simple. Easy. You can come to us. We give it to you free. We don't ask a bunch of questions. Um, training takes 30 minutes? Yeah, it's, not, yeah, it's, minutes, it's right? a little video you have yeah. to watch. We show you what to do with the kit. And you have it available. And I have to be honest with you. We've had individuals come to get it that... In their neighborhood, they're fearful that they might, they see some youth and they see some youngsters and they see some individuals that are alleged to be drug users and they know that they may need to use it one day to save them. That's really smart. It is smart. Proactive. It is proactive. Why not? Yeah. Why wouldn't you do that? Right. And when we've done some off-site clinics, we've had just well-intended citizens come and say, I just want to have it just in case. You never know. And you don't know. So... Um, can you provide them for like meetings, like when you, when a group is going to get together, would they be able to contact you? Yes, and make we've done we've done that. Bring them in. We've done that a couple times. That's we've great. had individuals who have called us and said we're yeah. going to have a meeting. Some individuals would like to get trained on the naloxone, Narcan, and we're like, yeah, we can do that for you. That's neat. 
Okay, a few weeks ago, let's see, it was August 9th, I believe, there was a rally, a lock three in Akron, and um, gosh, there was over a thousand people Mm -hmm. there. Which is good. Yeah. And so, yeah, I'm trying to um, rally the troops, rally against, you know, this epidemic, which is just uh, unbelievable. Mm -hmm. Um, So one of the things that they asked was for you to declare a state of emergency over the heroin epidemic. Right. So let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah. I think it's a a misconception or misunderstanding of the use or the power that's given to a health commissioner and or a governor and any other. I mean, we hear of a state of emergency when we have horrible weather events or when you have a communicable disease outbreak. Um, you may see there's there's law around quarantine and isolation and there's all sorts of things. But when it comes to an issue... And what that does, if I could interject mm-hmm. here, and what that does is provide funding so that you can do ex- take extraordinary measures. Is that about right? Well, it, it can come with funding, but typically it comes with resources. Hmm. So you may get FEMA trailers or you may get additional National Guard. There's some dollars if the, like we've had storms come through here in Summit County where we thought that they should have been declared an emergency and then the state would give us reimbursement dollars for expenses. It doesn't always happen. There isn't always money. And I can tell you, in public health, we've seen some reimbursement dollars, very small amounts of money. But you don't usually get dollar to dollar back. And you don't, so you have to have the money to spend and hope you can get reimbursed. I think there's the perception that with the state of an emergency comes a blank checkbook. I think that's it. Yeah. And it's not. It's, Hmm. and where the money comes from, we have to pay up front. And so, Actually, in all of our emergency preparedness planning, we have fiscal people that are trained to keep track of the expenses mm. so we can turn in for reimbursement. Mm. And you hope you get it. So even if you could declare, you may end up with just some FEMA trailers. Right. Is that about right? Well, we declare if it was appropriate, whatever the resource utilization would be appropriate, you may get. But yeah, you don't. there's no guarantee you're going to get a lot of money because I think the thought was if we could declare an emergency we could get additional beds. You know, we could actually sort of commodore hospitals and make them give us beds for treatment and that sort of stuff. But Starting with detox. Yeah, starting with detox yeah. and all of the stuff we may need. But mm-hmm. that gets to be very problematic in that, you, number one, you don't take people against their will unless they're court-ordered. Um, number two, it's it's problematic in that you're putting people into an environment that you want to be safe, appropriate, I think what's important is that there be standardized treatment care. You just don't house a bunch of people in a tent and expect them to get the level of care they need, safety they need, the you know the proper nutrition, all of those things that are important for healing and health and getting well. You just don't do. Yeah. Okay. So, but your department can do things, and in response to some of the requests from the rally, um, you are doing some things. Right. We had a meeting. Yes. And so tell us a little bit about that. Well, we've done the meeting, and I think that meeting was extremely helpful because what it did is it brought out some, um, I think, clear points of intervention. And if we know that that detox is an issue where then somebody has to wait to get into a treatment bed, and when you're when you need the, the care, the treatment needs to be available to you. So we're working on that waiting list. Adam Board, Alcohol, Drug, Mental Health Board has done a wonderful job of trying to 
to work some plans and build some um, relationships and get some new build- beds in place and get some things in order. To- I believe that wait time that you're talking about that we identified right. in, in Monday's meeting was about, on average, 10 days. Right. I think that's mm-hmm. we started with, uh, as we talked through yeah, they, it, yeah. that's where we arrived. Yeah, about 10 days was yeah, the... On average. And I think right now they're waiting. Um, I think the last I saw was five to seven days. Oh, for, good. So it's improved since then. Yes, I think they're starting to improve. They're trying to get folks in more quickly um, and trying to and, and to work the system where their system's appropriate. You know what I mean? Like get the people in the right level of care where they need to yeah. be. And so I think with that said, we've done that. We're working with um, alcohol, drug, mental health. We've looked at expansion. We just trained um, Akron Police Department. We have a couple other departments considering so we just finished the Akron Police Department training for the Narcan. So they've all they have that. We've also looking at a few other entities that are coming on board that want to pick that up. We're looking at offsiting more of our counselors, and we're also looking at um, expansion of the needle exchange program to try to make it available more hours. Um, and so yeah, there's some things we can do, and we always look for dollars, for primary prevention, trying to work with children, trying to get kids never interested in any of that. So um, we did receive $130,000 to help build our opiate task force, to help look at the work of the opiate task force, but also try to um, really get our hands around the dispensing practices and work with physicians around dispensing, work with um physicians around pain management, do some training, some education, try to bring more resources to the community. But again, starting with that primary prevention in the schools, trying to work with youngsters to hope that they don't ever, and if they do, unfortunately, um, have a tendency or or become addicted to something that they get the care that they need earlier. Excellent. So you have funds to to put into that, put into the Mm -hmm. education process. Mm -hmm. That's Really happy to hear that. That's, yes. that's great. So, Donna, what other things are uh, are you and the Department of Health doing to take a leadership role in uh, battling this uh, this crisis? Certainly, it's a public health issue because disease epidemics are public health issues. You know, crisis. Um, but we actually are—I wouldn't say we're—we take a leadership role in that. We try to do more innovative things, but we really. Um, Take the lead of Adam Board, Alcohol, Drug, Mental Health. We work closely with them. They're far more knowledgeable, far more um, capable. And Jerry and his group collaborate real well yes. in the community. They're they doing a great we, job. Yeah. Yes. This community is very collaborative. Mm. So the leadership role would be the public health piece around the things we can do, which would be the Narcan, the you know, needle exchange, any of those sorts of things. Um, but for Jerry... Jerry, we would help support anything Jerry initiated or wanted to initiate. Jerry Craig. Right. I was going to mention Jerry Craig, the leader of the Adam Global Board. Adams Board here yeah. for Summit County. Mm-hmm. Who's, mm-hmm. They're very collaborative. They're very um, willing to work with anybody if it makes a difference. Yeah. And they, they practice best practices, so they want to do what's right for the client as well. Okay. So what else can you would you like to share with our listeners about how they can make a difference in this opioid epidemic? Um, I think that everybody, almost everybody, knows somebody who struggles with addiction. And I think it's taken that five minutes, that ten minutes, to know when there's problems, 
to reach out to somebody and to offer them that help and to try to be that supportive arm that they're going to need through thick and thin. Um, and I don't know what else you do except be there with somebody and, and really make sure they understand. And I know it's difficult because we often hear from families, you know, I did tough love. I kicked them out. I, I got sick of them. I, they made me crazy. They stole from me. They, you know, you hear all sorts of things. But all of us, that's why if they've burnt their bridges with their family, the rest of us have to step up. And everybody has to be that five or ten minutes to somebody that you know is struggling and reach out. And if enough people reach out, eventually you might be able to get beyond that drug. Wow. Yeah. Thank you. We've been meeting with Donna Skoda today, who is the Summit County Public Health Commissioner. Donna, I just want to thank you for your time today. Oh, you're welcome. I appreciate it. Okay. I'm Greg McNeil, founder of Cover Two Resources. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Cover 2 Resources podcast. This episode is a production of Cover 2 Resources and is made possible by listeners like you. With your support, the Cover 2 team can continue to research and broadcast these resources to others in need. If you'd like to donate or to sponsor a future podcast, please visit cover2.org. As always, thank you for listening. Together, we can make a difference in the opioid epidemic, one life at a time.